at this point, I've been to about 35 or 36 countries. I need to revisit the list. I need to double check. Um, for a while, I had this goal. I had heard someone who wanted to go to 30 countries before the age of 30. Mm. Um, and I have kind of passed that and I'm, I'm 27. So I've got a couple years to go, but I don't know, trying to set a goal. I don't know if I want to go to every single country in the world, but I, I definitely enjoy going somewhere new rather than returning to somewhere I've been before. I think that's very exciting. Welcome to Utopian Talk, a podcast surrounding the journey towards health, sustainability, and building a better world together. Join us as we kick off engaging discussions with sustainability influencers, lifestyle bloggers, health and wellness coaches, bakers, and foodies, conscious people just like you who are taking steps towards a brighter future. It's time to join us on the journey because there's no planet B and there's no time like now to make a difference. Welcome back to Utopia Hen Talk, where we have small yet engaging conversations focused on building a better world. I'm your host, Paul Myers, and I'm joined by my co-host, George Weaver. Hey, George, how's it going? What's up, Paul? <laughs> good to be with you I know you, you were waiting for the name, but I was, we didn't do it this week. I was waiting for a very good adjective and did not get it. So, yeah. How was your weekend? It was good. Solid times, yeah. yeah. Working, working on a house, getting ready. For uh, to move in in April, so excited about that. Very cool. Yeah, I had a good weekend as well. Spent it with family and had some family visitors and a lot of hanging out and running errands and just living life. So cool. life cool. stuff. There you go. Well, our guest today is Piper Martz, uh, an avid globe trekker, a lifelong vegetarian, professional food storyteller, and food blogger. Um, Going to give a little background info on her. I think she's. Uh, Someone really excited to hop in discussion on, and I think someone who's really going to just open up a different side of a conversation that yeah. maybe we haven't heard so much from our different guests on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so just a little bit on her bio, a few years prior to the pandemic, she actually bought a one-way ticket to Colombia to work remotely, live in a new country each month and study local gastronomy, gastronomy, hope I'm saying that right. Piper's culinary adventure around the globe turned into nearly a two-year exploration of vegetarian friendly cuisines and how foreign food shapes national identity. Wow. So that was leading up to the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, she and her partner got stuck abroad in Greece, um, the UAE and England until the embassies and borders reopened and they found refuge in local produce markets, virtual cooking classes and uh, dreams of returning home to eat fresh bagels. So today, Piper and her partner live in Brooklyn, New York, where they continue to explore international flavors as curious home cooks. So Piper, uh, we're so <laughs> glad to have you. Welcome to Utopian Talk. Thanks for having me. Excited to open up a, a different element of the foodie world for you guys and your audience. Yeah, um, happy to be here. <laughs> like I said, we're excited to hop into the discussion. I feel like there's just a lot to unpack. And I know that was uh, a pretty big introduction. And I feel like, especially the idea of being stuck abroad in Greece, <laughs> I have a feeling that's going to be a fun story. <laughs> but as we kick it off, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, uh, basically what you do for a living. Because I don't know how many people... That was a big introduction, but I, I, I get the feeling that there's a lot going into that as well. Um, so uh, why don't you give us a little intro to who you are? Yeah, thanks for thanks for the great bio and kickoff. So I'm currently based in Brooklyn, but have not always been based in Brooklyn. Um, my family originates from Southern California. I was one of three daughters born into a vegetarian family. So 
uh, from the womb. I have always been vegetarian. I've never eaten meat or fish before, at least not knowingly, um, and was raised very thoughtfully, um, just like learning how to read a menu to know what you can and can't eat. I think anyone who has like a dietary restriction, if it's like religious or even allergy, like you just kind of have to navigate the world differently. So from the get-go, my parents were like total health nuts, very crunchy granola, um, we moved from California to New York when, when I was a kid, uh, and that's where I learned that vegetarianism and being a vegetarian family was not a common place. Um, and I always chuckle, my parents always tell this story at dinner table, like dinner parties, and it's kind of embarrassing, but you know, there's that age when kids are in elementary school where everyone's like asking each other, like, oh, like, what's your religion? Like, are you Christian? Are you Jewish? Are you Muslim? And I didn't know, um. So I just went around saying I'm a vegetarian. Um, that's that's my religion, which <laughs> uh, my parents think that's so cute. But truth be told, I think like, you know, I'm not like a diehard vegetarian activist by any means, but um, I think like food was just a really big part of my identity growing up. And so, um, yeah, I always got I got really into like the health food movement and the environmental sort of movement in the food space. Um, and I went on to study like food policy and global food insecurity. And I was like so convinced that I wanted to work for like an international NGO um, and help, you know, improve food security for places around the world. And yeah, that's what I studied. And lo and behold, I somehow ended up in food marketing, which, um, <laughs> yeah, so I always, my cheeky description when I'm feeling a little playful, and this is me being like a marketing wordsmith, is like I call myself a food storyteller, a professional yeah. food storyteller. Um, I wish that was actually what I wrote on my resume, but um, basically I, I work in marketing, and I, which means there's a lot of storytelling and messaging and copywriting and figuring out really beautiful ways of connecting people to the origin story of a company. And I just love doing that for like restaurants, um, food companies. I work with an amazing like herbal remedy wellness company right now. So I've been kind of on a, a exploring the different aspects of, of food storytelling, like throughout my career. And I don't always work with food companies, but that's sort of my dream come true. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, while working remotely, like pre-pandemic, I, I was working remotely for I don't know, a couple years before it became the uh, the cool new trend and that we've all been sort of Doing forced it before into. it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I, I founded, a, a, again, the cheeky name was the Food Storytelling Agency, but I basically founded a, a digital media agency when I came out of college. Um, I had spent some time in Bolivia doing sort of academic research. I was interviewing quinoa farmers. I was really curious about like the whole quinoa boom and how quinoa was so trendy in America and what, what did that mean for the farmers in the Bolivian Andes, which is where um, if you ever eat royal organic quinoa, I've probably met about half the farmers that grow it, which is pretty neat. It's a very small community that grows this royal organic quinoa. And out of that experience, I just had this big epiphany of like, oh, I don't want to go into politics. I don't want to go into NGO. Like, I want to find a way to work with food companies to do a better job telling the story of these farmers and just finding a new channel um, to connect with like young conscious consumers, like people who just care about not just where things are coming from, but like, who are they coming from? How did they get to you? Um, and that sort of kickstarted like a whole sort of career life shift into the storytelling side of things. So <laughs> yeah, crazy little journey, but you know, I guess that's what traveling abroad sometimes does. It makes you totally question your, your life and want to have a career change, a life change, marry a foreigner, eat amazing food. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Well, thank you so much for going into that. And I, I, we really want to unpack that and get into all the different little aspects of, of everything you sort of laid out there. Uh, so where exactly would you say your interest in travel started? Was it something that started early on? Like where, where did that spark? Because I know traveling and going around and trying different foods, that's a big part of who you are and what you do. And was there a certain point that you can think back to where that really just like started, kicked off, where there was a spark lit? Um, yeah. So my parents have always valued traveling. And as kids, we didn't travel abroad very much. Maybe we had like our annual family vacation somewhere around the U.S. Um, but my parents just loved hearing other people's travel stories. Like that was the social capital. Um, and my parents are both like very good storytellers. And whenever they'd have a dinner party or they had people over, they always wanted to hear these like wild travel adventures. And my mom, when she was in college uh, back in the 70s, she studied abroad in Peru. And at the time, I always try to explain to people, like, today, Peru's a destination. Peru, people go see Machu Picchu. Like, that's a place that's pretty accessible. Um, but at the time, my mom, when she went to Peru, I would say it'd be almost equivalent to going um, to Bangladesh, where that's not really a common destination for a lot of study abroad students. I'm sure there's folks who are studying in Bangladesh, but um, it's not so popular. It's not such a big tourist destination for, for many folks. So my mom was there for almost a year, and she just had all these crazy food stories or travel stories. I mean, she was writing letters to her, her mom and it took two weeks for a letter to get brought back and forth between California and Peru. Um, and so like, that was sort of the world my mom grew up in. And I just grew up as a little kid being like, I want to be like, mom, I want to go live in Latin America. I want to speak Spanish. I want to go hike around Machu Picchu. Um, and my parents really, really encouraged that. Um, they used to joke that like they wouldn't help pay for college unless I promised to study abroad because they are like, you need to have that experience. Like you need to be out of your comfort zone. So um, I feel very lucky that my parents have have encouraged me to uh, to get out and travel and also just find creative ways to like get someone else to pay for it, whether it's a study abroad program or grants, uh, student grants. I've always tried to find opportunities to get someone or some organization to help cover the costs. Where actually, where did you go to college? Um, yeah, I studied in just outside of Philadelphia in Bryn Mawr oh. College, uh, which is a seven sisters. So it's actually a women's college. Okay. Um, so way back when all the Ivy Leagues, when they only accepted men, they had a sort of female counterparts. So um, yeah, it's one of the, the few remaining women's colleges in America today. It was very, very interesting experience. Um, definitely fostered a, a greater curiosity in the world and just like the role that identity plays in all aspects of food, of history, of travel and development. So where do you have a list of all the places that you've traveled to like in your life <laughs> there, or is it too many to count? How do you, how do you go about that? And how do you go about? I wish it was too many to count. To <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I have a list. I have a couple lists, um, like a written down list. I have one on my computer because I want to make sure I can like track everything down. Um, but I think at this point I've been to about 35 or 36 countries. I need to revisit the list. I need to double check. Um, for a while I had this goal. I had heard someone who wanted to go to 30 countries before the age of 30. Mm. Um, and I have kind of passed that and I'm, I'm 27. So I've got a couple years to go, but I don't know, trying to set a goal. I don't know if I want to go to every single country in the world, but I, I definitely enjoy going somewhere new rather than returning to somewhere I've been before. I think that's very exciting. 
to what country in your opinion then well I guess I'll ask I'll break this question up <laughs> what has been your favorite country that you visited so far and then we'll go a step further and say and because of your history with with food and everything what yeah. country in your opinion has the best food so favorite country <laughs> and then favorite country because of their food okay both of those questions are like asking your parent like who's your favorite child you know what I mean like they could probably give you like a pretend answer like I love them all equally um that's very challenging um it's it's hard it's really hard to answer that and I think like there's definitely countries I went and I had kind of a rough experience and it felt very circumstantial like if I went back to that place I probably would have a really good time Um, And there's countries I've been where I've had an amazing experience and it was totally unexpected and it was delightful, Um, but it's hard to sort of figure out which one's a favorite. But for a while, I'll tell you, for a while, my answer would have absolutely have been Greece. Um, When I graduated college, I I got a grant to go study food anthropology in, uh, in Athens, Greece. It was the anthropology of the Mediterranean diet. Um, this is very life-changing course. It totally sort of pivoted my like approach to eating and traveling in the world of like just traveling through the intention of food. But I spent three months basically like eating my way across a country. And part of that was under like an academic framework where like every day in class, they were taking us to go like wine tasting or taking us to a grocery store to like analyze the shopping experience or, you know, meeting an olive oil producer. And it was so fun. It didn't really feel like coursework. Um, and because of that, I took this course for about a month and then I just went off to like over 14 islands and different, almost every geographic region of Greece. I felt like I really got to know the, the food and the cultural norms and different regional differences. And it's very much a vegetarian friendly countries. I was absolutely in heaven. Um, and that is sort of where I absolutely loved. I just thought that was the most phenomenal country. I mean, it is a beautiful place to go vacation and definitely recommend it. Um, And then again, in the pandemic, I ended up living there for for almost 12 months. Um, In my entire life, I've spent the most time in Greece outside of the United States. It's not where I ever expected. Um, And that was a really different experience was like living and kind of taking shelter during an eight month lockdown. And like it was not quite as dreamy, uh, definitely food filled, but not quite as romantic as as my first sort of vacation there. But Greece is definitely like special in my heart, for sure. Why don't you tell tell us a little bit about the the lockdown and sort of getting trapped in Greece and everything and how did that all come about? We'd love yeah. to hear more on that. <laughs> so just for a little context, um, you know, I meant you mentioned earlier I had bought this like one way ticket abroad. I was in a new country every month. I I met my my partner now spouse. Um, we met in Tanzania. He joined my trip and we settled in Australia. So we were traveling the world. We settled in Australia. We were there for about seven, eight months. And then the pandemic hit. Um, And my family was like, you know what? I think you should come home. I think you should hang out in New York for a little while. Like leave Australia. You and your partner come stay with us. We'll figure something out. And then you can go back if you need to. Um, We really, like everyone, we all thought these quarantines and pandemic happenings would only last maybe like a month or a couple of weeks. And so we came to New York, we caught literally the last flight out of Australia. Um, It was that day that the country announced their very, very strict border closure in which no one could really exit or enter for over a year. So we caught the last flight out of the country. Uh, It was incredibly stressful. We had all our bags packed, ready to sort of move to the US temporarily. 
Um, and when we got to New York, which again, that was also sort of a Corona hotbed, so kind of a scary place to be relocating to. Um, but when we got there, I mean, my partner, who's not American, he's half British, half Greek with Australian Greek and uh, British citizenship, so a crazy dual national with three passports, he wasn't allowed to stay in the US for more than 90 days. So what became really challenging and why we sort of got stuck abroad um, for so long is that my partner and I had different passports. We had different legal rights to stay or to go or to live in countries. So after 90 days of sort of a, a tourism visit in the US, Corona hadn't ended and, and we had to find a new country that would take both of us. So we prepared to go to Greece um, and a couple of days before the flight, my uh, I, I got notified that um, from the from the European Union, they were not letting any Americans into the country. And we were like, oh, no, <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go next? So, again, it's just frantic Googling, looking up embassy websites, like what's open, what's not open. Um, but lo and behold, my partner continued to Greece. Um, and that is where I, I had to plead with the the Greek government and ask for special permission to travel um and so it was a lot of string pulling a lot of uh, a lot of good luck and miracles um but i somehow managed to get a a sort of very hard to get exclusive letter saying like this person this american is allowed to to enter europe and come to greece um so we ended up in greece for three months and again we were hoping all right this pandemic's gonna wrap up soon after 90 days when my tourist visa ends like we can you know we'll figure out what to do um, and that's, again, 90 days, they kick you out of the country, you got to go somewhere else. So we ended up in the UK, um, stayed with my partner's family. And again, the plan was always, we were like, all right, how can we go back to New York? How can we get back to the US? That's where we kind of wanted to be. Um, and then after a couple months, we finally found a plan. We show up at the airport. We've got all our documents to go from the UK to America right around Christmas time. And lo and behold, we picked the worst day to travel of the year. It is the day that Delta was discovered, the day that we all realized there are mutations and new variants of Corona. UK was the suddenly like, you know, the, the red hot spot. Every flight in that airport was canceled. So we were not allowed to get on our plane to the US. Um, the entire country of the UK went into an extreme lockdown that would go on for many, many months. And we were locked down and stuck in the airport. Um, and we were just going and looking at flights and we would literally see, you know, we would start trying to book a flight. We, at one point we thought we were going to go to Morocco, just trying to get out of the country. We're so lucky we're in the airport. And as we're booking the flight, it disappeared. And we called the airline asking like, oh, what happened? Like, where did the flight purchase go through? And they said, I'm sorry, ma'am. Like, the country's borders have closed, like you cannot enter Morocco anymore. So we were really desperate. Um, we were just trying to get out of Europe. We knew that if we stayed in the UK, we kind of would be stuck. Um, and so we ended up in the UAE, uh, not a country I expected to travel to, very interesting culinary destination as well. Um, and of course, this is like the bright side of everything is every place we go to, I get to like eat my heart out, you know, whether you're in a quarantine or, you know, stuck in a hotel, airport hotel, at least there's some interesting food around that you can, you can manage. Um, and yeah, after we were in the UAE for the Christmas New Year period, our plan was always to try to get back, back into Europe. Um, and that's how we ended up in Greece. We were able to, again, sort of file some paperwork and 
they were a bit more open and accepting despite being in a complete like 11 month lockdown. So we flew into a country in lockdown. Um, and yeah, we basically lived out of an Airbnb. We had to text the government every day to leave, but the most miraculous thing happened. And this is something that I find so uniquely Greek. Um, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. Everything was closed except for essential businesses. You know, grocery stores are important. Um, you know, maybe like a pharmacy is important. And for some bizarre but wonderful reason, coffee shops were deemed an essential business. And so <laughs> th think for a moment, like, is your local coffee shop, like, are they essential to your livelihood? Like, in some ways, yes. Like food, you know, food really keeps us going, but like coffee is lifeblood. And so what we learned is that when you had to text the government asking if you could, you know, leave your quarantine um, and you had to give them a reason that option number six uh, was to go for a walk and that was to get fresh air. You're allowed to do that like once a day, go get some walk, uh, fresh air, go for a walk, walk your dog. Um, and what we learned is that all the local Greek people would put down number six as the reason to go walk and get a coffee. So you'd be getting fresh air, but really you're going to your local coffee spot to go meet up with friends, to go have a social hour. So that kind of became like, that was like our saving grace. It was like, I became a coffee junkie because I was like, we need to go, like, I need to get out of this apartment. You know, I'm going crazy. Um, even suddenly like the local flower shop was suddenly open because they bought a coffee machine. So they were now an essential business. Wow. So it was a very fun way. Like we basically, you know, we got to explore Athens, this very touristy city where it's like basically a ghost town. Uh, and we slowly went from coffee shop to coffee shop. And that was sort of like keeping me going <laughs> mentally, physically um, during the pandemic. Um, so that was a very unique experience. And, and any Greek person you would meet, you know, other than just drinking the Greek coffee, like of course they would attest that like Greece has a huge coffee culture. Like it is so important, not for like the actual coffee itself, but just the socialization of it. So that, that really kept things going. Um, and then slowly, you know, the country opened up again, tourism returned, like restaurants popped up, but it was all food deliveries and coffee. Like that was really what sustained me for, for almost a year. <laughs> Is there a difference between Greek coffee and American coffee that you <gasps> notice as the way they prepare oh it or just the taste in general? I, absolutely. Um, I think this is interesting. Like we're in, you know, obviously America is very famous for Starbucks. We have, we have other coffee places and I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. So like New York is really, you know, we're snobby about our coffee. Um, but in the U S everyone really likes drip coffee, you know, like you, yeah. well, no one's going to get an espresso, you know, you're not going to a Starbucks to say, Hey, can I have a shot of espresso? And you're going to sit and smoke a cigarette and like hang out with your old man friends and maybe like do some business. You're not going to sit in Starbucks for two hours, sip your espresso as if, you know, it would last you all day. Um, and that is very much a European, a very much a European practice. It's like a coffee shop. Like you're not really going there for the coffee. You are going there for like the, the social hour. It's like a place to, sometimes it's a place to do business. Sometimes it's a place to have like kind of relax or sit with the family or just have some quiet time. Um, but the coffee themselves, like you cannot find a drip coffee in Greece. Like they don't sell drip coffee. And so um, yeah, you know, they have a Greek coffee. If you've ever heard of like a Turkish coffee or a Greek coffee, it's basically like sometimes it's cooked in hot sand, um, which sounds very bizarre, but 
essentially it's like a how could I describe this beautifully? Imagine like a tin can, like a, a tin of chickpeas. Or <laughs> imagine a, a very rounded, very beautiful vessel like that with a, a plastic handle that you put on top of like a gas stove. Um, and you fill it with the coffee and the water and you mix it all together and you add the sugar before you cook the coffee, which is also oh. very uniquely Greek practice. Mm-hmm. And you heat it up, you're waiting till it's bubbly and it's it's almost this gorgeous sort of like golden brown and then you pour it into a coffee cup you don't filter out the grinds or anything and you wait for it to settle um and when you're drinking it you have to wait for it to settle otherwise you'll get a mouthful of coffee grinds yeah um but yeah this is this is sort of a greek coffee but i'll tell you like the young people in greece and in athens like it's not cool to drink that anymore that's like the old person coffee drink Mm. um the very trendy drink right now and this was like all over tiktok at first it was um like a frappe where you basically are mixing like dairy milk, like whole milk with a couple shots of coffee, a ton of sugar, and you're like shaking it up. Imagine using like a protein, one of those protein shakers to get yeah. it really frothy, like a frappuccino. That mm. was popular five years ago, but now today it's all about the Fredo espresso, which is Italian for cold espresso. And mm. essentially they, they put maybe two shots of espresso, a bunch of ice, and they put it into like a milkshake maker. Like, you know, when you're going to like a diner or a McDonald's and they fill up a metal cup ice cream and they, you know, stick it into this machine that shakes it up. So that is, those are not used for milkshakes at Greece. They're only used for for cold coffee. So um, it gets really foamy and frothy. It's like really, I've never seen anything like it before, but if you if you have a milkshake maker at home, you definitely should give it a try for some <laughs> a unique coffee experience. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to try some of that out. I know I've definitely tried to boil my own coffee before rather than just run it through the drip machine and everything. So very interesting to hear about the differences. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, where your next uh exploration destination might be I know now you're living with uh or not living but you're visiting family now and then yeah. you're in Brooklyn so do you have a, a next targeted place that you're aiming to go after and as far as food writing and stuff does that destination have to do with a certain type of food you're trying to research or write about or always like Paul oh like I when I am trying to pick a place to go on a vacation or to travel to like that that is what I'm thinking about is like have I tried this cuisine before is it a cuisine I think I'm gonna like mm. um as someone who's a vegetarian like you know there's a lot of countries that have a lot of meat and so you know if I'm like I mean, Greece, honestly, has a huge meat culture. Um, Argentina has a really big meat culture. But like, lo and behold, it takes, you got to do a little research just to make sure you're going to be able to eat something when you arrive. That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> how, do you, how do you plan for that as someone who is vegetarian and deciding like, oh, I'm going to go abroad? Like, is there a certain way to, and I guess this can be a follow-up question, a certain way to <laughs> prepare for that like you I don't know do you research everything beforehand you just sort of show up with a list of of things you need to know and then find it once you get to your destination we'd love to hear more about that as well yeah (laughs) so in some ways like I'm a very organized traveler Mm -hmm. only when it comes to food and restaurants but actually organizing the trip and the journey I am very dare I say spontaneous a little chaotic a little last minute um, my partner and I, like uh, just a few days ago, we are planning a trip to Sri Lanka next month. Uh, we haven't bought our tickets yet, but, um, 
basically there's this thing called the rickshaw run. It's it's not necessarily like a foodie experience, but you very well could make it a foodie experience. That's obviously my my agenda. Um, and essentially you you are given a three-wheeled tuk-tuk, um, like an auto rickshaw. Um, and they give you a start point and an end point and a deadline, and you just have to get there. Um, so we did this across India a couple years ago. We went from North to South India. Um, again, very interesting way to travel to like lesser known parts or not touristy parts and get very, very amazing access to regional cuisines that you may not normally be able to find at home or in a common city. Um, so yeah, I've, I've never actually had Sri Lankan food in a restaurant, but I, I took a Sri Lankan cooking class during the pandemic. Um, that was so fascinating. It's a, there's a really cool virtual cooking class company based in the UK called My Grateful. Um, sort of the word grateful and migrant combined. And it's based in the UK, so the time zone stuff can be tricky for folks in the US, but you can maybe do it for lunch. They basically hire refugees and migrant women in that live in the, in the United Kingdom to teach like recipes from their home, their homeland or from their families. So I took a Sri Lankan cooking class. It was so interesting. Definitely got to learn a bit of the nuances, differences with Indian cooking. Um, and I just got really excited. I was like, this is delicious. I want to know more. So in the back of my head, I was like, all right, Sri Lanka is a place I would love to go eat at one day. So um, yeah, I haven't booked the flights yet. And honestly, like I usually look at restaurants before I even look at like hotels. Um, I always try and find like just on Google maps. I'm like an avid Google mapper. Like I really love looking up and tagging places. You can kind of like save a location in Google maps. Um, and so for every country I have visited or want to visit, or even if you, Paul, like you give me a recommendation for like the best place to get like scrambled eggs or like diner breakfast, like I will tag it to Google Maps and I will one day visit it. Like I will commit it to memory. Um, so yeah, I research food first and then, and then I kind of figure out the rest of the stuff. You know, I'm always just like looking up for vegan or vegetarian hotspots. Um, if someone leaves a comment or a review and say, oh, this place is a really good vegetarian pizza or really good uh, vegetarian menu. Sometimes the restaurant might not call itself a vegetarian restaurant, but I'll, it'll, it'll join my list, my, my foodie hit list. So that's kind of how I like look at planning um, is like traveling through the lens of food. And if I'm feeling very excited in particular, or I'm wanting to write, um, you know, do like a, a short piece or just write about the experience. That's when I try to do a little research on like regional specialities. Like, is there a really unique cheese or is there a really unique wine? Is there some kind of artisanal food practice that is like so unique to the country or even to that region that I wouldn't be able to have at home. Um, Greece is very famous for that. Again, like every village, every community, they've got something they're really proud of. And you can even ask local people like, hey, like what's the best cheese from this town? And they'll tell you. Uh, but I found that really resonates with places all over the world. Like even in the US, like, you know, certain towns and areas, they'll be famous for a certain dish or there's a certain restaurant that has something that everyone's really proud of. Um, and it's a really fun way to travel to feel like you're kind of eating like a local um, and you're having that local food experience. So there's got to be a certain level of open mindedness and willingness to try something, even if it doesn't always sound the tastiest. But um, it always it always brings a really interesting itinerary to your trip. Great. That sounds that sounds <laughs> a lot of information to take and definitely a lot of stuff to consider when you're thinking of traveling, especially if you have any dietary restrictions. Uh, you know, whether it's something that you just have naturally or it's something you decided to do as, you know, just part of part of your life. Um, so we're curious, obviously, as as an egg company and uh, as people uh, who 
uh, live in the world of of hens and eggs. And I think you stumbled across us through our eggs yeah, um, and sort of that experience. So how do you um, find that balance between uh, vegetarian and um, getting protein through eggs and stuff like that? It's something that you do on a regular basis or is it something you just do every once in a while? And because I know there's all different uh, <laughs> sides to that and people could, you know, you could find people on across the spectrum on, on where they feel you should fall, but we're interested to hear where you fall on that and sort of how you find integrate eggs into your diet. Yeah. Great question. Um, yeah, I actually, <laughs> I got exposed to Utopia hen through the most delicious bowl of ramen. I think I've my partner's ever made at home. We're on a ramen kick right now. And if you're not putting a soft boiled egg in your ramen, then you are missing on like a total umami flavor bomb. So, um, yeah, I, I will say like when I go to a grocery store, if there's something that I'm like, Oh, I've never tried that before. Like, Ooh, what is that? Like really interesting beet or radish, or in this case, duck eggs. I was like, you know what? I've never had that before. Let's, let's give that a go. Um, so yeah, we actually tried your duck eggs and that is lo and behold, like all the places I've gone to in the world, like I've never had a duck egg before. So, um, it was a very exciting, flavorful experience, definitely really rich, super fatty, like such seriously, such an umami flavor bomb, which, um, it, it adds, I mean, it adds protein, but it just adds such a good creaminess to your, to your meal. And I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm a, I always say I'm a vegan vegetarian. Like I definitely, I've grown up vegetarian eating eggs and dairy. I'm kind of lactose intolerant, but like sometimes like the heart wants what it wants. And if that's a slice of pizza, I will suffer for it because it'll be so delicious. Um, and so while traveling, I think there's, um, I think I've learned a lot about just like how different places in the world get their protein. And in the U S like, I think the, the meat culture here, like when I think of meat, I think of like steak, burgers, hot dogs. Um, I think of cheese, there's cheese on everything in this country. That's something that a lot of foreigners have told me about like, oh, is it true that Americans put cheese on everything? And I thought, I guess so. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just like, you know, as a kid, my parents were like really clear about this is what protein is. You need to have it in every meal. Um, maybe it's a string cheese as a snack. Maybe you're having lots of like cheese in a product or you're having an egg or, um, you know, different soy proteins. And now we're in the age of beyond meat and impossible meat. And that's so exciting for the U S but that's really different. Like protein looks so different in other countries. Um, and so I think like while traveling, I became so much more excited by like beans and pulses. Um, and truth be told, like eggs are everywhere in this world. Eggs are everywhere. And while traveling in Latin America or in East Africa or, um, you know, in Asia, across Southeast Asia, like wherever you're going, there's usually people eating eggs. Um, and as a kid, my parents were always like, eggs are such a safe, like good protein. You can totally go for it. But truth be told, I'm a bit of an egg snob when I live at home. And even while I'm traveling, like I know there are some crummy eggs out there, um, you know, that aren't raised so ethically or thoughtfully. And I like as an environmentalist and also like somewhat being raised an ethical vegetarian, like I really care about sourcing. Um, I want to know where things are coming from. So I've been very fortunate. I think while traveling overseas and Greece is again, a great example of this is like, if I'm going to a grocery store. I can be like, Hey, where are the, where are these eggs come from? And they'll say, Oh, they came from Yanni's farm. He lives like, you know, like a couple towns over. Um, it might not be officially called pasture raised or organic, but you start to get a better sense of like where the food comes from. And that's something in the U S like 
you cannot go to your local Whole Foods and be like, hey, like who, what farmer grew this thing um, or where did this come from? And that's where like the packaging or the product story, like it's so important. And I'm giving you guys like a shout out here because I think like Utopia Hunt does such a good job of being like, we are pasture raised, you know, all our products are coming from the Northeast. Like I, you know, it's pretty, even if you go to your website, like there's so much information about sort of like the family story behind, you know, the egg company and just how thoughtful you are about like the well-being of your chickens and your ducks. And so, you know, eggs are definitely, definitely, definitely a reliable source of protein as a vegetarian. I don't eat eggs every day. Um, but you know, there's so many, there's beans, there's pulses, there's tofu, um, quinoa from Latin America. I mean, I studied so much about quinoa. It's one of the only non-meat sources um, in the world that has all essential amino acids, um, including lysine, which is usually the amino acid that's only found in meat. You're not always getting that in beans and, and tofu and things. So um, there's a plethora of protein sources out there. And I think as a vegetarian, not being able to eat meat and fish um, has made me have to do a little more research and get a little bit more curious and want to kind of explore what some of those options are. But um, yeah, there's there's so much fun stuff to try. Like try that black bean pasta at the grocery store that looks kind of intimidating. Like maybe it's delicious, maybe it's gross, but you don't know until you try it. Um, and that's, a, a, I think, a healthy approach <laughs> to have. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks. Thanks for the shout out. We appreciate that and appreciate when, uh, you know, that's recognized and everything. Um, because yeah, it's really important to us that where we source our eggs and where we're able to show people like, Hey, this is where your eggs are coming from. So when that's recognized by our consumers, like it, you know, makes us feel good that, you know, it's not going unnoticed. Um, so we're coming to the end of our interview and we normally like to throw a little rapid fire in. I know we've been hitting you with a lot of questions and you've heard <laughs> a lot. Um, so just to uh, take it a little bit of a lighter spin, uh, just to, I don't know, maybe find some more common ground with our listeners, uh, I'll ask you uh, about five questions and we'll just see how quickly you can go through them. And I got, I got, the, I got the buzzer. Yeah. So. George's got the golden buzzer. <gasps> okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Hit me, hit me. <laughs> All right. Favorite food. Pesto. I mean, if you could have just said favorite condiment, but pesto could be a food group. Like I could eat that on anything and everything. <laughs> nice. Favorite place to eat. Uh, my home kitchen like cooking my own food. I'm going to say kitchen. <laughs> okay. And, uh, if you had to pick one movie book or music, like if I have to choose one for the rest of my life, the category, yep. Ooh, category. Um, I'd say books, 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 books. books. Okay. Okay. All right. Awesome. And favorite book. Um, I'm reading such a good foodie book right now that I'm very excited to shout out. Uh, it's called buttermilk graffiti. Okay. by chef edward lee and i will tell you most chefs cannot write but this man i mean he is writing about the meatiest dishes and i salivate while reading this book i mean such a talented food writer he travels across the americas just to learn more about fusion food and the different sort of types of food that you can find around cities and rural towns in america so very tasty great food culinary journey uh, highly recommend it <laughs> And last one, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Ah, I'm, I'm going to say where I, where I am now, Brooklyn, New York. It has taken me so long to get here. And so it's exactly where I want to be at this moment in time. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, that concludes rapid fire. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. Are there any questions 
we normally ask this just as a way to sort of let you sort of take the wheel for a minute. Are there any questions you wished that I had asked or anywhere you wished this discussion had gone? Well, I don't have any particular questions, but I would love to just share like with your, with your listeners and your foodies and, and sort of all of the egg lovers and just food lovers out there who are, who are giving this a listen. Um, if you guys are ever traveling, <laughs> if you're ever going to Greece, if you're ever going to a place that I've been, please message me. I love giving restaurant recommendations or just travel recommendations in general. So like hit me up on Instagram, or you can even shoot me an email uh, and I will happily send you some, some itinerary or places to go and eat at. Um, and I'll also throw out there, and this is something I'm, that's in the works. I'm working on a culinary memoir. I'm writing it myself. Um, that is about sort of like the 12 main countries that I traveled to and the different cuisines that I, that I ate my way through. And if there are any other food writers out there or any other book writers or foodies in general, and you want to join my little mini authors group, uh, really an accountability group where we can just nerd out about food and continue to encourage each other to write it down, uh, please reach out, please reach out. Um, I would love to read your, your food writing and share some with you as well, but otherwise, yeah, it's, it's been great chatting with you guys a little bit about my bizarre food journey around the world. Um, please don't be a stranger. You guys can totally keep in touch. My, I run like a little low key vegetarian food blog called veg around the world. So you guys can find me on Instagram at veg around the world. That's V E G around the world. Um, yeah, hit me a DM and I'll give you some travel recommendations for anywhere I've been. Or if you're coming to New York, like foodie destination, like let me, let me treat you to a good food time. (laughs) Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for filling in that information. I think you covered the last of my questions with where people can find you. Um, so yeah, give Piper a shout out, uh, give her a follow and, um, ask her any questions you have when it comes to food and grease and coffee. (laughs) definitely (laughs) again thank you so much for hopping on uh it's been a great chat and we look forward to um just keeping tabs on you and where the future leads you and seeing all the different adventures that you're gonna have to come we'll watch your instagram and and see where you (laughs) go next awesome thank you guys so much for having me and thank you for bringing some really delicious duck eggs into my world like it was very very exciting Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. And you have a great rest of your day. And to all of our listeners, we'll see you next time. Cue the music. You've been listening to Utopia Hen Talk, where we believe that making a big difference starts with one small act, one small decision, one small change, one small promise to simply do better. Join us on the journey.